Clear back in 1835, there was a man that visited a doctor in Italy, in Florence, Italy. And today, he would have been diagnosed quite quickly with clinical depression. But it was 1835. The doctor looked him over after the man told him, I, you know, I'm not sleeping. I'm avoiding friends and, and relationships, and um, I don't eat, and I'm just miserable. Well, the doctor examined him, found nothing wrong with him, and being 1835, just started to convince this man, what you need is just go have a good time, and you'll feel better. If only it were that easy. And so he told him about a circus that was in town, and there was this uh, this is a painting of a clown named Grimaldi. Grimaldi was there, and this was apparently a clown of some fame, and he was hilarious, and left people rolling in the aisles, and if this doctor said, just go see him, you'll have some laughs, and you'll be all better, and the, the man didn't think that would work, and he, he hesitated and asked if there was something else he could do, and the doctor kept encouraging him until the man said, you don't understand, that's not going to help. I am Grimaldi. And the doctor, was, the doctor was shocked. How can someone who spends his life making everyone else laugh feel like you feel? You've got fame and fortune and everyone loves you. But for those of you who have struggled with depression, anxiety, you know that's not the stuff that like fixes it. Depression and anxiety are incredibly common and it doesn't matter how rich or powerful or popular or hilarious or beautiful or anything else someone is, it can be a real problem. The list of people who fit those categories who have struggled with debilitating bouts of depression is along. Abraham Lincoln, uh, Winston Churchill, Brooke Shields had a famous bout with depression, if you remember that back in the day. Um, Beethoven, Sir Isaac Newton, even, uh, you know, Christians are not immune by any means. The scripture is filled with people who have struggled with depression. Jeremiah and David, for example, Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, the, probably the greatest preacher of the 19th century, he, he was debilitated at times by depression. And he wrote of his periods of depression, he said in, you know, in his flowery language that he used, that, that when he was depressed, he visited, and I quote, the dungeons that are beneath the castles of despair. That's low. Well, this morning, as I sought sort of a, a one-off standalone sermon, we're done with Matthew, and I want to wait and start Romans after Christmas. I came upon Psalm 42 and 43. Really, it's one poem that goes together. And what Psalm 42 and 43 are, it's a song written by a professional musician but it is the internal dialogue of a depressed believer. 
That, that maybe should be the, our title this morning, the internal dialogue of a depressed believer. It's a, uh, it's a poem that, or a song that's a lot like our modern worship songs as far as the way it's laid out. When we read this, there's, there's three things we would call three verses. After every time a verse is sung, there's a refrain or a chorus that gets repeated three times. And then before the last chorus, there's even something that we would call the bridge. There's something that's not really part of the verse and not part of the chorus. So we have three, chorus, three verses, three choruses, and a bridge, just like we do a lot of times uh, today. And, and it is, it's just real. If you've struggled with depression, anxiety, I think some things will seem familiar. And then we're going to see how this psalmist, inspired by the Holy Spirit, how he figured out how, how to fight his spiritual depression. Let's read it together. This is from the New American Standard Bible, Psalm 42 and 43. Uh, in the Hebrew, there's this little introduction for the choir director, a maskil, which is a dead word that probably means something like a well-written song by one of the sons of Korah, which just means he's a professional musician. He's a Korahite. So verse 1. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I'll remember and I'll pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with the voice of joy and thanksgiving with the multitude that was keeping the festival. Verse 5, Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his face or his presence. Here's verse 2. Oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of the Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and his song will be with me in the night a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? The chorus again. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my face or my countenance and my God. Now Psalm 43, verse 3. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my case against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man, for you are the God of my strength. Why have you rejected me? 
Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Now here's the bridge. Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling places. And then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And upon the lyre, I shall praise you, O God, my God. And we end with the chorus. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. That's the poem. What we would call verse 1 begins the first four verses of Psalm 42 where the psalmist lays out his problem um, at first. And I would paraphrase it this way. He starts by saying, I'm depressed because my spiritual life isn't what it used to be. I'm depressed because we might say, I don't have the fire for the Lord I used to have. That's where this psalm, this song starts. One of my family's favorite church songs has been one that starts this way. As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. We sing that from time to time. Though I don't think we sing it the way this guy meant it. Usually when we sing those songs, we are, we're thinking this thought. And it's a good thought. And it's a biblical thought. We're thinking, God, I need you the way animals need water. I need you the way I need food or air. You're a base need in my life. And that's a good sentiment. It's just not what this guy says. This is darker. He says, I need you like a a deer panting for water. Um, This is a picture of of a deer that is about to, is going to die of dehydration. And if we press that metaphor a little further, how much trouble do deer usually have finding water? I mean, they're pretty good at finding water, right? Do deer have to stop and ask directions for water? Is, is dehydration a leading cause of death of deer? Now, the leading cause of death of deer are things like 270 cartridges, and suburbans, right? That's what kills deer. If deer are dehydrating and dying for lack of water, what's going on? It'd have to be a pretty severe drought if the deer can't find water. Isn't that true? Here's what this guy says in his poetic songwriter way. He says, God, when it comes to you, I know I need you. But I can't, but you're nowhere to be found. Where are you? I feel, I feel like I'm a deer who's about to shrivel up and die because the, the need that deer knows it has can't be satisfied. That's when I think of you, God, I just got to be honest. I know I need you and I can't find you. Since I, I thirst for you, and I ask, when's this going to get better? When am I going to be and feel like I am with you again? What makes this pain even more intense comes when he starts hearing this question, where is your God? And now, 
This is Pastor Matt opinion alert. Okay, so you can take this with a grain of salt. But the psalmist hears some questions that he shares with us in this song. And he says it comes from his enemies. I think he's starting to believe that, that those questions are really good questions. I'm not so sure he's not asking those questions himself, just doesn't want to say it to God. I hear all these other people say, where is your God? And if nothing else, he's starting to say, I'm not sure I have a good answer for him. What makes this hurt more comes in verse 4. Because in verse 4, he says, it didn't always used to be like this. I used to be the one who led the procession to what we would say is church. I used to be the one, like Sunday mornings were the best day of the week. I couldn't wait. It was like I was going to see this friend I hadn't seen all week long. I couldn't wait to get back there. That used to be me. And it's not like that anymore. Now, if I go to church at all, I go to just kind of check the behavioral box. I do it because I'm afraid people will think poorly of me if I don't go. I go because my spouse wants me to go. My parents want me to go. I go because I feel obligated. Somebody told me we're not supposed to forsake the gathering together of believers, and that's absolutely true. It's just not supposed to be the main reason I come here. I used to come because I was in love with the Lord. And if I'm honest, God, I don't feel like that anymore. Now, this is a 3,000-year-old poem. If we look back over 2019, could that have been written about you this year at any point? That's the psalmist's first problem. He says, I feel spiritually dehydrated. I feel like I, I know I need God, but I don't feel like he's around. That's verse one. We're not going to study the, the chorus three times. We'll save it for the end. Let's go to what I would call verse two of, a, of the song, Psalm 42, verses six through 10. I would paraphrase their meaning this way. In verse two, he says, I'm depressed because these problems I'm continually dealing with, they make me feel far from God separated from God. In verse 6, we learn this guy is actually physically separated from Jerusalem. I know none of us have the, the geography of ancient Israel memorized, so this doesn't reach out and grab us. But I'll just tell you, this guy is stuck up at the, at the headwaters of the Jordan uh, in these places way up north in Jerusalem, up in the mountains where the, the, the source of the Jordan begins. And Jerusalem's clear down south. So this guy, he doesn't live where he wishes he lived. And for him, there were some really important parts of Old Testament worship that could only be done in Jerusalem. So there's a little more than homesickness going on. But the worst part for him is life's not going that great up north where he's stuck. He says, 
Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls and your waves and your breakers have swept over me. Now there is a little concept in the scripture that is misused in modern Christian music about as much as anything. Because usually we sing those about, I'm, I'm covered under God's, you know, like this is a good thing. I'm covered under God's grace and, and mercy and all. That's not what this is about. You ever been in the mountains? You ever gone to Colorado? about halfway up some big peak, late spring, early summer, when the snow is really melt, melting, and you get to a place that maybe late summer is a little trickle of water, but if you get there the right time of the year, it's just a torrent. You, you ever been to, to a place like that? What's that sound like or feel like? When you, I remember standing, went with my parents years and years ago, and I stood on this ancient rock, that was just swept smooth, and the water coming down that mountain, it was the roar of a waterfall. I mean, we couldn't hear each other. You could feel the power of that water. That's what this is. And this guy, poetically, metaphorically, here's what he's saying. God, you want to know how I feel? I feel like you are allowing one punch after another in my life. I feel like I am stuck. This, this deep rushing torrent of water is calling out to this one. I feel like you can't even hear me over my problems. Just one thing after another, like I'm stuck tumbling down that mountain. Now he says, I'm still, a, I'm still a believer. I know somewhere God loves me. And at night, his song comes to me. God gives me a song in the night. Have artists ever, do, they, do artists ever take pain and turn it into art? Does that ever happen? It's been happening for at least 3,000 years because that's what this guy says. I, I'm still a believer. I still know my real need, my real thirst is for God. But I've just got these, and at night, I sometimes think the right thoughts and I'm writing all this down right now in a song because I'm going through this. But this is just one gut punch after another. And he kind of blames God for it. He says, this is just, you're allowing this. So in verse nine, he says, and God gives me that song and I say back to him, why have you forgotten me? Why do I have to be the one that goes about mourning and oppressed by my enemies? Why do I have all this pain and all this hurt? And again, here's that nagging question he hears from others, and he's starting to ask it himself, where is your God? Verse 1, I feel spiritually dehydrated. I don't feel toward God like I used to feel, and I know that's a problem. Verse 2, here's why. I just have one problem after another, and I feel like God doesn't hear me, and he's forgotten me. Verse 3 is the verse, first two verses of Psalm 43. In these verses, he says, I'm depressed because I feel rejected by God. He's building on verse 1 and verse 2. 
Verse 1, I'm dry, I'm dehydrated, I don't feel toward God like the way I used to feel. Verse 2, here's why. I've got all these problems that never stop, makes me feel ignored. Verse 3, and all that makes me feel like God has rejected me. The beginning of Psalm 43, we learn this guy is dealing with injustice. That's as specific as we get about his problems. Something unjust is touching him. He says, in general, I, I am, I'm stuck in an ungodly nation, and I know none of us can understand that, but just try and use your imagination about what it would be like to live in a nation that's ungodly. But this injustice has touched him personally. He doesn't tell us in this song what the injustice is, but when injustice touches us personally. In general, it's like he feels like the bad guy is winning. When injustice touches you personally, it's when the person who lies or cheats or steals is the one who gets ahead. It's when the person who doesn't actually put in the work gets the credit. It's when the one who who just like sucks up and kisses up gets advanced and the people who actually you know put in the time get nothing we all understand injustice that's what he's dealing with now he bears his heart and remember he's this is later he's telling on himself as he writes this song in verse 2 he he tells on himself a little bit and he exposes his, his bad thinking. He says, I know you are the God of my strength. Why have you rejected me? I know you are strong enough to fix this. Why have you rejected me? Do you hear the mistake in his thinking? Here's what he said. I'm far from you. I know I need you. I'm spiritually dehydrated. I've got all these problems one after another, and one of it is the bad guys are actually winning. And you are strong enough to fix this, and you're not. So here's the deal, God. It's like he puts God on trial here a little bit. He gives God a stern talking to, and he basically treats God as if God has two choices. You can vindicate me, or you are rejecting me. What's a vindication? You know what vindication means? Someone's vindicated if they are shown to be right or righteous. In this case, because there's, a, there's an enemy who is unjust, the bad guy is winning, the cheater's getting ahead, whatever it is, He says, if you want me to feel better, God, you've got to expose that guy for what he really is. You've got to expose that I'm the good guy and that gal's the bad gal. Right? You've, you've got to vindicate me. If you want me to feel better, you've got to fix my problems. That's the choices he's given God. You either vindicate me or you are, what? 
rejecting me. Then again, he asks, why am I the one that goes mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? So here's where this guy's at. Spiritually dehydrated, feels far from God. He's got all of these problems God doesn't seem to be fixing. The the bad guys are winning. Nobody can tell uh, that I'm the good guy in this situation and the bad guy's the bad guy. And then he says, if God really cared about me, he would fix my list. And if you don't fix my list, that means you're rejecting me. That's where he's at. Anybody been anywhere close to any of that? Verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 43 is, it's just, it's beautiful, it's wonderful, I love it so much. This is the part, it's not part of verse 3, it's not part of the chorus. It stands by itself, it's why I call it the bridge, because that's what we would call it today. This is the main prayer of this psalm. This is where he's going to straighten out his stinking thinking. Here's what he says. Oh, Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and your dwelling places. Let them get me close to you. Verse 4, then I'll go to the altar of God. I'll go to God, my exceeding joy. And I'll pick up my guitar and I'll get back to singing like I used to. Here's why I love this. You catch the drift of this prayer. Does this guy know what his need really is? He said from the very beginning, I need you like a dehydrated deer needs a drink of water. Right? If it was a country song, he'd say it like that. Right? He knows what his need is. And he's just decided if God is going to help me with my, if he's going to help me feel close to him, he'll fix my list. God, here's my list. This guy's winning. I'm losing. This secret thing has not been exposed. Here's all these problems. If you loved me, if you really wanted me to not be depressed, if you really wanted me to feel better, you would fix these things. There's a point in there where he calls God my rock. That's the word for the high ground. Well, I'd be protected if you wanted me protected. You'd do it. And at some point in his life, he stops and he changes his prayer and he says this. He says, maybe, just maybe, if I feel distance between myself and God, it's not God who moved. Maybe if there's distance between myself and God, and I think that means God is unjust, maybe it's my thinking that's off. So here's his prayer. God, send out your light and your, what's the next word? Your truth. You illumine me. You help me see and understand what is true. Let your truth lead me. Because here's, he's believing a lie 
that says, if God doesn't fix my list, he doesn't love me, he won't protect me, and he's rejected me. He says, show me where my thinking is off and let that lead me to closeness while I'm going through the things on my list. Not only if you fix the things on my list. And then I will go to the altar of God even before you fix the things on my list. And you will again be to me, I love this, the God of my exceeding joy. Elohim el al shemchet goli. The God of my joy that goes crazy with more joy. God can be, he's learned, God can be the God of my exceeding joy when the bad guy is still winning, when I don't live where I wish I lived, and when God hasn't addressed my list. And we can tell that his prayer has been answered. His prayer was answered, not that God fixed his list, but God's light and truth led him back to closeness with God. He doesn't even ever tell us. We just see the evidence in the, in the refrain, in the chorus. He sprinkles this after every stanza of the problem. Here's what he does. He says, at some point, I, see, I had to say, God, will you help me change my thinking? If I, if I know what I need is closeness to you, and if you get my heart and my thoughts in line with your truth, I will feel close to you. I will know I am close to you. That's where my joy comes from. And when he learns that, he tells himself, you know what I need to do sometime? I need to grab my soul by its shoulders and shake it a little bit and ask it these questions. Soul, why are you in despair right now? Why are you disturbed within me? I need to ask my heart that. Why do you feel like this, Maxwell? Why are you so down? What is it you are not getting that you are saying to yourself, I am not going to be happy. I'm not going to be satisfied. I'm not going to be content until I get this. What is it? What is it you don't have? Why are you in despair? And then he says this, hope in God. For I shall again praise him. He is the help of my countenance and my God. He's the help of my face. He literally turns my frown upside down. And part of it, we want, part of us wants to read that and go, like, hope in God, seriously? That's it? That's the key? There's got to be more than that, right? I mean, yes and no. <laughs> The only difference in the, in the chorus between the first one and the last two is the first one, it's God's face. And the second two, it's, it's my face. Um, God meets us face to face and is a help to us only one way. It's through the cross of Christ. The amazing thing about this psalm is that this guy came to this realization without understanding the cross. It's easier for you and me. 
Because whatever our list is that we think God has to fix this, or I'm not going to be happy, I can't be content, whatever it is. Brothers and sisters, it is met at the cross. If you boil down the answer to that question, if you're going to shake your soul and say, why are you in despair? What is it you really need to be happy? If you boil that down, it will be answers like this. I need, I need significance. I need to be loved. I need to not be rejected. I need to not be left out anymore. I need to not be cheated. I need to not have injustice. Whatever it is, you boil it down, it is taken care of eternally right there. If you're dealing with injustice, and you, God, if you don't uncover the dirty, diabolical deeds of that person, if you don't help everybody know they're, they're getting ahead, and they're, they're through lying and cheating and stealing, and the bad guys are winning, picture the Lord Jesus at the cross, and he would say, tell me about it. You want to talk about the bad guy winning and the good guy losing? How much time you got? And at the cross, I realized, wait a minute, I'm the bad guy that wins because that good guy lost. If I want to feel loved, if I want to feel belonging, if I want to feel significant, the God of the universe gave his only son to die on a cross so he could love you. So he could accept you so that you could belong to him. And if you think he's still excluding you because of some sin you have sinned, you have forgotten what he did right there. Two thousand twenty is coming in a quick minute, and almost all of us are going to find ourselves depressed and dejected again. It's coming. If it came for Charles Spurgeon, kids, it's coming for you. But we have to. We have to be able to turn our heart and our thoughts over to God, or we'll never get out of it. And I think this psalmist teaches us how to do it. First, we fix our hope on Christ. We make sure that we tell ourselves and our soul what I really need is found in Christ. If I try to get my needs met anyplace else in this world, I'm going to be let down and crushed. Or I'll be waiting for that to happen. I have to identify those false hopes my list of things that are saying, if I don't get this, I'm not going to be happy or content. And this guy reminds us, it's okay to rebuke your heart, to rebuke your soul when it's needed. Sometimes mine needs it. Sometimes I need to smack my soul around a little bit. Come on, Maxwell. Because we have the cross of Jesus Christ that tells us, our God would stop at nothing. That is where our list is satisfied. And it's where our hope is secured. Pray with me. Father God, um, I know many of us here, all of us here, know what it's like to feel depressed. 
when the holiday, as the holidays approach, boy, that, it makes it worse for many of us, Lord. God, help us to identify um, what it is that we feel like we need for our hearts to be lifted and illumine us. Send us your light and your truth to, to remind us how you have provided it through Christ. God, uh, I thank you that, that you, don't, you don't reject your children when we are sick, even when our sickness is depression. You love us more, just like with our own kids, Lord. We don't stiff arm our kids when they're sick, when they're rejected, when they feel left out. We love them more, and that is you with us. But gently turn our hearts and our souls to the cross and to Christ where all our needs are met and our cups are filled. That you might once again be the God of our exceeding joy even when life is falling apart. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.